Welcome once again to another episode of the Random Access Podcast, brought to you by RAPodcast.net. This is episode 299, recorded live on Sunday, March 17th, 2013. And here are your hosts, the man I'm going to call Dave for the podcast, Dave Pillay. Hello. The man who's going to be called Andy for the podcast, Andy Lohi. And our guest this week, the man I'm going to call Gus for the podcast because I can't say his name. <laughs> Will you please say your name? Yeah, sure. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Tus. Uh, it's a Dutch name, so don't try it at home because you're probably going to throw up. So just, just, just <laughs> Gus will do fine. That's, yeah, that's, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to. I'm going to take a sip of a beverage and then. <laughs> uh, oh. Because that would be a hard so, name to pronounce if you don't have enough, you know. Actually, when I, 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 I was in, uh, I, did, I did my internship uh, in Denmark, and I had to change my name to Chris because nobody was able to pronounce my name. Nobody. So they all said, Chris? And I said, yeah, yeah, Chris, that's my name. It's so, close enough. We'll go Yeah, on. close enough. We'll do it. <laughs> so one thing you don't think about is how other people with different accents are trying to, you know... I mean, it's not even accents. It's actually just different languages because they have yeah. different sounds. Yeah. yeah. And it's also like uh, normally, uh, how do you you spell a name like G and then you, you would say like W, but it, that's also like a W is another uh, letter in English. So it's a G-U-U-S. Um, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird, but uh, it works for me. It's a, it's a really old, by the way, really old. And I thought I have it. An actual odd name with Antony, but Antony is actually yeah. pretty common. Yeah, we have yeah. that in, in, in Dutch as well. Okay, um, so it, it, it's it, it's actually Anthony, which is more rare yeah. outside of the U.S. The th. Yeah, that's the Dutch version. But I don't have the h. No. Which is why I go by Andy, because everybody automatically, you know, would just assume their own version of it. So, Gus. Yes. You are our first respondent back in my quest to find the PAX 10. Yep. From 2012. From 2012. Yep. So you are here. Yes. Episode 299. Just to name a random number. It was, yeah. God, are we at 299? Yeah, we're at 299. We're going to have our 300th episode next week, Dave. Okay, well then. Somebody ordered a cake, right? I mean, that's like epic. It's pretty impressive, I have to say. Not as impressive, however, as getting into the PAX 10. Took the words Ah. right out of my mouth. Yeah, thanks. So first off, congratulations on on getting to show at PAX and being part of the PAX 10. Thanks. Uh, did you want to talk a little bit about your game, Catch-22? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, uh, Catch-22 was conceived at the Global Game Jam in 2012, back in January. And uh, we made the game in 48 hours. And, and that basic concept is still the same as it is on, uh, as, the game, as the game is right now. And... Um, yeah, it, 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 it like blew up right in our face because after we uh, finished the game, we, got, uh, we won the National Game Jam for Best Global Game Jam uh, in the Netherlands. 
Um, uh, Catch-22 is a very simple one-button game. It's a relaxing and frustrating game, by the way, uh, in the way that you are playing against yourself endlessly. Um, and that is quite hard to explain in words. Uh, but it basically, um, Catch-22 makes you, um, you... You're your worst enemy in this game because all the actions you do will repeat in the turn afterwards, and you'll have to evade those actions with new actions. But then again, when the turn switches again, those actions become your enemy again. So it's kind of an endless battle with yourself. Um, and it's a high-score game. It's very simple. And, yeah, we uh, yeah, it, it took us pretty far, especially after the PAX 10 uh, nomination to be on the showcase. It, it went berserk. Now, I... When I first saw this, it made me almost think of uh, one of the earlier PAX 10. I think it was actually the first year with uh, Chrononauts. Was it Chrononauts, that one, with the time loop? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Except this one, it's almost like you're, instead of helping yourself, you're fighting against yourself at the same time. It's, oh. (laughs) It's, game is hard to explain in words. You just, we'll we'll put the link. You just kind of got to see it. It, 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 it's very straightforward because uh, it's a one-button game, so you can you can't do anything wrong with the input. It's just the the game doesn't explain itself. It's just something for you to find out, which is one of the cool things about this game. Um, but I, I seriously, still, it's one year after, and we're still finding a good explanation for this game because it's 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 really difficult to do, really difficult. Uh, basically. It, we would say it's almost like uh, you, you, you're you cloning yourself. I heard someone say that because that's easier to explain. Uh, if you think about Braid, like you can um, you can use time in your advantage because then it, it, it like rewinds or replays time. And it's kind of works in that way. Um, but it doesn't... We're still figuring this one out. Um, it's like rocket science with a very simple concept. I don't... I, it's it's really hard. Um, but still, very doable. How did you come up with this idea? Ah, uh, that's... <laughs> All right. So, um, the, um, the theme for the 2012 Glow Game Jam was the Ouroboros snake. It's a snake that um, bites... It, it like itself. it's... Yes, correct. It's it, it eats itself, and um, we wanted to make a game where you, your actions bite yourself in the ass. And um, the original concept uh, we thought up at the start of the Global Game Jam didn't turn out the way we wanted it to because of technical difficulties. Um, but in the end, yeah, we were re- we were like after those forty eight hours, we were completely beat. And exhausted, and we were just happy to finish the game. And we actually um, didn't realize how cool our game was until after the Global Game Jam, until after we won. Then, because people were really like, oh, this is a really neat concept, very original. Um, And we were like, this is just a very fun game we made in 48 hours. And we were really blown away by all the feedback and the enthusiasm we got. So, yeah. Now, you're saying we. Are you, I'm guessing you're not the only one who has worked on this. No, no, no. no. Um, we, the original team at the Global Game Jam was four people. Um, we uh, That was uh, Marlon Etheridge. He's the programmer. He's still in the team. Uh, Rul Barstra. He's the technical artist and game designer. Well, actually, we, we, 
we pretty much did the game design all together uh, because at some point everybody got to put in their ideas and feedback and game design. So, but the original concept was from Marlon and Rule, uh, which didn't work out, and then I fixed it during the Global Game Jam, and then um, yeah, then it worked. But the original team was four guys. Sander Brattinga, he's not uh, with the team anymore because he was busy with his study and didn't want to pursue the game, um, which he pretty much regretted uh, afterwards. But yeah, that's how things go. So it's just me, Marlon, Rule, uh, who are uh, who formed uh, the company Mango Down, and we released the game. Now, what did you release the game? What platforms? Uh, we released it on uh, iOS only. Um, because um, uh, we all have uh, uh, jobs uh, aside of uh, creating the game and uh, forming that company uh, because we didn't intentionally um, wanted to release this game because we were just having fun at the game jam and then it kind of like took off by itself and we had to run, uh, <laughs> yeah. how do you say that? You had to play catch up with the amount of success that you had. Yeah, pretty much because like okay. it, it, it took off, and then we were like, "Okay, where's this going to head on?" And um, especially after the nomination for PAX, we were like, "Okay, seriously, we need to figure this one out because we didn't even have release plans uh, <laughs> when we when we send the game to PAX." And it was only after PAX we were like, "Oh shit, we don't have a game. We have a game to show at PAX, but it's not even released at PAX." So. Yeah, we um, we rushed into production and finished the game after PAX, and, and it was launched in September, just before Indicate. Um, yeah, and so we're still working on the game right now um, to to do a, a re-release, actually, because even though we did have a lot of attention for the game, uh, especially at PAX and, and Indicate, it didn't do so well on iOS. It's kind of interesting that this seems to have basically fallen into your lap because you know we, we've talked to other people who say like oh i've been working on this game for three years and it's me mm-hmm. and like seven other people and we you know we've been committing so much time to it and there's just other groups where it's like you guys where it's like we built it at a game jam it took up you know <laughs> two days and it, it was yeah. pretty successful <laughs> yeah like it, it's just kind of you know um we not felt paradoxical like- but just it's interesting that that happens. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you because um, at the time we felt actually I felt a little bit guilty when we were nominated for Pakistan because I know there are guys that are working like years on their game and they just die for an opportunity to get there. And for us, it was just like okay, let's uh, let's throw up some balls and then see we see what, which one comes down and then boom. Um, and yeah, it was like we almost stole it. Like we it just kind of happens. Yeah, um, um, it, 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 in in a way, it, it's. I mean, the game deserves it. It's we 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 really like the game and we really love making this game. Um, but in a way, as where you put the amount of effort and time into a game, and if you look at other guys who've been polishing their game and working on their game for like you say for years, and not even getting. Um, any recognition for it, it feels kind of uh, undeserved in a way. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, yeah, that's life. That's life, and I mean, you've got a good game here. It's it's yeah. simple, it's addictive, it has kind of a variable difficulty. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you are the difficulty. I mean, it's not the game's not hard. The the player needs to figure out how he can beat himself. Yep. So I'm just curious, what is this uh, game jam that you're talking about? Um, the, you mean the global game jam? Yes. All right. Uh, it's a, it's an annual event. Uh, it, it, it's uh, it, there's loads of game jams nowadays, but uh, the, the global game. Yeah. And one sec, Andy. Are you familiar with what a game jam is? My guess is we, you block everybody. My guess is you lock everybody in a room for about forty-eight hours and see what comes out. Pretty much, uh, generally grouped up by teams. Okay. Yeah. And then um, they, just, they spend two days making a game. So there, there's different kinds of jams. Some some jams are even like one-hour game jams, and um, the. Um, the idea behind the game jam is to get out of your comfort zone um, because you only have like in with the global game jam you only have forty eight hours to actually make the game, which is a really short amount of time. Um, you you are forced to come up with a game that is unique and simple and um, by by default should be coherent with the with the theme of the jam. And um, well, we 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 marked every check on 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 that part during the global game jam and that's why we won the game jam um but basically yeah it's it's actually you should go to a game jam without a team and then just form a team at the global game jam with people who you don't know and then make a game that's that's the 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 general idea but most of the time if you want to make a really nice game in 48 hours it's it's advised to work with people uh, who you're familiar with and who you can form up a team with, which you can succeed to make a game in 48 hours. Now, is this your first four-way into video gaming creation? Um, no, I've been, uh, I'm actually, I'm graduating uh, this year uh, at the Utrecht uh, uh, School of Art and Technology, and that's where I follow the course Game Design and Development. And I've been, um, that's a four-year uh, course uh, of, of developing and um, learning how to make video games. And um, this is not my first game, and also not the, the first game I, uh, I worked on, uh, on um, as a, well, how do you say? I, you have lots of disciplines within game design and in game development. I did most of them, and with this one, it's pretty... Um, I'm, I'm a, tra- a jack of all trades because I did uh, most of the marketing and PR after the game jam and some game design during the game jam because the game's so small. I mean, the artist was pretty much finished within an hour, um, which I helped uh, help create the art style. Um, the, and then the programmer was like basically programming all the stuff, and we were only balancing the game. So it was it was a really um, what do you say really like. Enlightening. Well, it was like normally you have uh, if you're doing game design, you you have lots of um, lots of stuff to do to make um, like to balance the game or to get the game mechanics working or to figure out what restrictions the game mechanics have. But the only game mechanic we had in the game was jumping and um, making sure that the player recorded his own history, uh, his own history. And then from that point on, it was just like basically tweaking and adding some some features to the game. Very simple, small features like the bouncing, and that was it. That was it. So that 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 doesn't require a lot of time. So normally you would spend a lot more time on game design, uh, but with this game, it was so small that it 
really didn't need a lot of game design because the, the concept was there and that's it. All right. Now going from, so you, you created this thing at a game jam yeah, and then you just decided to put it in for the PAX 10 after you got a lot of good response from it. Well, yeah. Um, because uh, as I said, uh, I was going to do the marketing and PR for the game. Um, I wanted to, to get this game out there because we were really proud of what we've made. And Pakistan was more of uh, the only uh, game competition where I felt this game was suited for because Pax, uh, in their description as well, they said they're looking for original and fun games um, with a unique concept. And that's what the Pakistan is, is for, for, uh, for, for indie games that are original and fun. And most of the time they're pretty awkward. I've seen some Pakistan games that were really awesome and really cool. Um, which you probably wouldn't see in any mainstream uh, game event or whatever. So I had a really good feeling about the packs, uh, uh, about packs to send our game there. And yeah, well, history uh, history's already uh, told them that part. Uh, we got nominated. We went to packs. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. So did, that must have been a little bit of a shift going from Amsterdam to Seattle. Yeah, definitely. Um, because uh, we we uh, like they, they they asked us, uh, uh, "Hey guys, can you make it uh, to get the to get your assets to PAX?" And we were like checking our our saving accounts and our bank accounts, and we're like, "Yeah, yeah, we're coming." So we were all saving up to go to to Seattle, and because I never been to the states before, and that was like. Um, how do you say a, a, a huge culture culture shock for me because I you know everybody has their pre assumptions about how America is, um, which by default are some of them are are are, are right, um, most of them are wrong, but like yeah, Seattle was yeah, it was it was for me it was like a really big culture shock. I was like okay, this is really different than what I'm used to. Now was this your first convention or no? Um, as uh, could you be a bit, bit more specific? Um, well, also uh, either a as attending or b as an exhibitor. Um, well, uh, both no, uh, but those the the events that I've been to were Dutch events, and uh, one event previous to that was um, it was a uh, it was in uh, in Berlin in April. Uh, it was Amaze Indie Connect. Uh, we sent uh, we did we did send our game to that uh, event as well, and they said, oh, "Well, you can come over and show your game." And in Holland, there's uh, one really cool event. It's called uh, Indigo. Uh, it's uh, where all kinds of indie games or games in development are showcased, and our game um, we were showcased at Indigo as well. And two years prior to that, I made a game called Reflection which was also showcased at Indigo and it was actually showcased at the first Indigo. It's not that, um, it's not that old. It's just like the Dutch game scene is not really, it wasn't really big until like a couple of years ago. But I'm guessing PAX was a completely different scale than anything else. If words can describe how epic PAX was, it was massive. Well, okay. Um, in like in three words, epic madness forever. It like like after day one, we 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 had the idea that 
um, we were there for a week and we were completely beat uh, because it, it like everything went so fast, everything so big over there that you you just can't grasp how PAX is as an exhibitor until you've exhibited your game at PAX. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. It's a huge consumer event, but like all the people who who go to PAX, they 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 love video games, and the people who showed up at the PAX ten games and played our game. They they were incredible. We really connected to the, the very first fans of Cat Twenty Two when we were at PAX, and we're still in touch with them. We use Facebook a lot uh, to to stay in touch and keep keep people up to date, and you know, get in contact with people uh, from 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 the states and and from everywhere that which where people like the game. But it was like uh, unreal, really unreal. It's unlike anything you've ever met and ever had um, the privilege to be uh, showing your game on. Now, uh, was there a uh, a press only specific time for the exhibitors? Yeah, <laughs> um, that's where the craziness started. Um, <clears throat> at the first day of PAX. Um, we arrived at the Washington uh, Convention Center, uh, which is a huge building. They actually have a park somewhere on the f- a sixth floor or fifth floor, mm-hmm. just just on top of in the middle of the. It's 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 a huge building, and to 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 think that PAX is happening across the entire building on all the floors. Um, we 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 arrived at the Washington Convention Center and people were like lined up in front of the door, but like it was like a rock star concert and we were getting in and people were really psyched and enthusiastic. So the, on the first day of PAX, uh, from nine till ten, there was a press hour exclusive, and uh, so and at nine o'clock, so the press is coming in. And um, every day the exhibitor or the, sorry, the announcer uh, just calls in like, uh, okay, dear exhibitors, uh, PAX is now opening doors for public or whatever. So they said, okay, um, PAX is now open for press. Uh, and that was at nine o'clock and it used to be until 10 o'clock. But then the announcer <clears throat> uh, at 9.30 uh, started saying, uh, dear people, uh, we're sorry to inform you that press hour is already over because the people outside are starting to fill up the streets and traffic can get through. So we need to open up these doors because these people need to get in because otherwise there's going to be trouble. So we were like, oh, damn. And then like the doors open and we saw that tsunami of crazy people rushing in. And that was like our first impression of PAX, like total, total madness. Total madness. It was insane. It's worth pointing out, Andy and I have been part of both that kind of pre-press event of walking around and being kind of the only groups in there, as well as being part of that human tsunami. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty impressive on both ends. Yeah. yeah, Like I said, words can't describe it. It's like you you need to be, have been there. Enable to 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 understand what what we're talking about because and it's it's an event absolutely worth going for. Um, doesn't matter if you're a, a, just a fan of gamers or you don't need to be a hardcore gamer to go to PAX. I mean, people are super nice over there. Exhibitors are really nice because it's like the only chance for for people outside of the game industry to interact with the developers themselves. And th- actually, that's one of the things exhibitors love of being. 
at PAX, they can interact with the people that like their games and talk with them. And um, it's it's super nice. It's super nice. And yeah, actually, this year, this year they're going to do because it used to be three days, and this year they're thinking about uh, cranking it up to four days because they can't put in all the people in three days next year. Yeah, I remember when they first sold out, they actually had to get special permission from the fire marshal to try and see if they could sell more tickets. Uh-huh. Oh, it's crazy. But I still, <laughs> I know, I know what you're talking about, though, because I remember sitting down with the uh, developers of EVE at one point oh. during PAX, where it's just, they love to actually, like, sit down and see what people outside of the game are actually thinking of their game, because they, they would talk with the people in EVE, all the time, mm-hmm. but they also wanted to see what everybody else thought about the game as well. So yeah, I can tell that the developers love the interaction. Now, did yeah. you, were you having interaction between the other PAX 10 nominees at all? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I like one of uh, right now. I, I consider him like we. I call him uh, my brother from another mother, and his name is Nikolai Davenport. He he works uh, at Cipher Prime. And those guys made Audio Surf, and uh, they made the game Splice. I don't know if you know both of these games. Um, like they were one of the PAX 10 nominees as well. And uh, we met up with them, and we, we we all went out for drinks, and we we met a lot of people at the PAX 10 from the PAX 10 games. Uh, super super awesome guys. Um, what uh, just, just I'm trying to figure out uh, remember who. Would, um, <clears throat> what was that game again? Uh, I'm really bad at names. I'm really bad at names. Um, I'm trying to figure out which, uh, there was one guy he made, I think they made a game with only, it's just, it's, it's a very, very familiar name. Um, what was it? Was it, ah, the Swapper, you know that game? Which game? The Swapper. Swapper, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's um, it, the art of that game. Um, Wait, was that the the claymation looking one? Yes, yes. Okay, it, it was in. It, it's I, I think it's really really cool and a really original game. Um, but also the art they make everything out of clay and stuff, and then they use some some way of scanning that clay, and then they import that as a model for their game, which gives the game a very very unique look and feel and uh, also uh, <clears throat> uh the bridge it's it's the black and white cartoonish game with um it's it's a puzzle game that uh, where you uh, flip the kind of gravity and you need to do a lot of um how you say perspective and physics puzzles that um it's 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 a kind of um game that uses uh, the principles of Asher and gravity actually and it was made by Ty Tyler uh, and uh, some other guy. What was his name? I think was yeah Mario. I don't know his last name, but uh, Ty Tyler, Ty Taylor, and Mario something. And you know those guys from Spice, they they are fucking awesome. And you know Puzzle Juice. I mean, you you probably know that game. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, from Asher Volmer, he was there too. Um, super nice guys, really cool. Now, did you have a chance to try out? I'm just curious. Did you try out uh, Johann Sebastian Joust at all, or no? I it, actually, he came in really late um, at PAX uh, because he they he arrived at 
like I think at nine or nine thirty or even now he arrived at eleven o'clock on the first day of packs and just started setting up his game. And being really hectic, it's you almost don't have any time to play other games, especially only in the after hours, like when packs closes and stuff. Uh, I haven't played John uh, Sebastian Joust. I have seen tons of videos of that game because I think it's a really cool game. It's actually not a video game; it's a game. Um, uh, but yeah, I've, I've seen people play it. I've seen the social interaction uh, people have during when they play that game. It's 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 a, it's it's a great game, and I'm really glad that game is coming out on the PlayStation. Oh yeah, that's one of the things I'm very curious at. Now I've I've also been. Was looking back at some of the previous PAX tens, mm-hmm. and I was noticing that there seems to be a large number from Amsterdam. Is there like a serious video game community in Amsterdam? Um, I'm I'm actually you're better informed than I am because I don't know which games were from the Netherlands from oh. the previous PAX ten. Um, let me find my list. I remember because we had I had a couple people on the list that we had interviewed previously that were from the Netherlands. I'd have to pull up my Google Drive and find out. <laughs> okay, um, the gaming scene in Holland—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's really you know—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's like moving forward and it's getting bigger and bigger each year. Uh, we have—we uh, don't have a huge gaming scene in Amsterdam. Uh, there's a lot of big studios in Amsterdam. Uh, there's like uh, Vanguard Games and uh, Guerrilla Games who make Killzone, and there's lots of studios uh, in Amsterdam. But it's not like they um, they all get together. They everybody knows each other. I mean, that's not it. But uh, most of the people get get together at the Dutch Game Garden in the Netherlands. That's in Utrecht, and it's like a really big building with only game companies, and um, they have like indie meetups over there. And they have we have a um, a monthly or like bi monthly event. Uh, it's called uh, called Control Game Lab. And um, it's being held in Amsterdam, which where like basically everybody from the Dutch game industry scene uh, gets together and like you know meets up and talks, and we have panels and people talking, and it's always a really nice event. That sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It is, and that's the good thing because you know we need to um, get get that scene moving on into the future because. Uh, even though Holland is really small and you guys live 300 miles apart, um, in Holland, like we, we, how do you say? It's not like we, we we're gonna uh, visit each other very often or uh, have a meetup. If if things like the Dutch Game Garden are not supporting that or um, facilitating meetups like that, and that's why we have a lot of those. Uh, um, um, and yeah, like the indie meetup, and uh, there's one thing that's organized by the guys from Flumbeer. They made they just released uh, Ridiculous Fishing. I don't know if you know that game, but it's really awesome. Uh, it's only an iOS game, and I know you guys don't have iOS, but um, they Jan Willem Nijman he organizes um, the multiplayer picnic, which is just like a, a, a nice meetup where you get to play really cool. Uh, multiplayer games on a random event um, and we, where everybody just meets up and has a good time. Oh, my apologies. He was uh, from Copenhagen, Denmark. Close, but no cigar. Which one was that? The Puzzle Bloom. Okay. We had the guys from, let's see, 2011. We had Australia, Israel, 
Montreal. There's two of them actually from Australia. Because, because the reason why I ask you to uh, say, hey, which, which people were from Amsterdam? Because I was pretty sure we were the first Dutch uh, PAX 10 game ever. Yeah, that's what I, I yeah. think you are correct on that one. My yeah. apologies on that yeah, previous no, yeah, statement. No, Others no from the area, but none from Holland. No, no. Yeah, we got that one in the bag. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Andy, do you have uh, other questions? Mm, um, oh, uh, what did you actually use to program the game? Uh, we used uh, Unity. Um, but basically, that's because we used Unity when we uh, made it during the Global Game Jam. And we used a ton of shaders and stuff. Um, that it, like If we wanted to remake the game in our own engine, because the model and the programmer, uh, he definitely wanted to create the game in his own engine. Um, but it's mostly because of the lack of time that we didn't, you know, uh, we didn't have the resources, especially time to to, to do that. So um, we wanted to release the game on iOS and PC and Mac and Android, which is going to happen uh, in a few months, and also on Ouya. But if you want to do that, you need to have a really, um, yeah, a, a full-blown engine that can support that. And Unity does that. So, um, yeah, we, we kind of stick to Unity. So you, you mentioned that you're going to be releasing on Ouya. Have you been looking forward to that? Have you guys done a lot as far as preparing for that? Yeah. Um, we, I met uh, the, the founder, Julie Orman, or one, of, one of the founders of uh, Ouya, Julie Orman at Indicate. And uh, we, we had a great talk. And the people from Ouya are super nice. And we got a dev kit uh, in just like a month ago. And... It's it's been something that's been it's really nice to release your game on a new platform, you know, because you don't get that chance very often to be one of the first games that's going to be released on a new gaming platform. And um, also, the 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 whole project is crowdfunded, and I think that's that's something that's really cool about living in this age that things can get like they don't have to be passed on to big companies or publishers and able to 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 be conceived those kinds of ideas they just things like kickstarter make things happen that otherwise wouldn't be happening and yeah i'm looking very very forward to the release of uh of Ouya. how hard was it to get the game onto Ouya? was it pretty simple pretty straightforward um because it's basically an android uh, uh it runs android so you if you have an android uh, version of your game uh, you just implement the uh, uh, the UIA ODK. Um, no, no, no difference. Um, no, we don't have much difference with that in regards to Android because it, it just runs the same thing, and the hardware is pretty pretty solid. And they're doing a lot of a lot of uh, improvements on release, which is going to be around June, I think. And because the public release, is, yeah, the public release is slated for June, I, I, I believe. And you know, it's a it's a great platform to develop on, and especially the people from Ouya, they're they're really great and really supportive, and they're really listening to to the audience and also the developers. So I I just can't wait to to what's what's coming to Ouya and where Ouya is coming to because they want to get on TVs and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know what the future is going to bring, but it looks bright in Ouya. Cool. 
All right, that's, that was my last-ditch question. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really last-ditch. Well, Gus, thank you very much for coming on and talking with us. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, um, thank you for doing the interview, especially uh, you were you are the last person to interview us about tax. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I've been kind of bugging Andy about getting this out of the way and, and taking care of this. The PAX mm-hmm. 10 is usually his his pet project around August and September and just never materialized this year. Um, so real quick, one other thing is, uh, you know, what's next for you guys? You're doing the you're republishing the game, but then what? Okay, uh, well, it basically uh, everything comes down to uh, re-releasing the game because uh, the game didn't do really well on iOS, uh, which a lot of people were really uh, surprised about because we got a lot of attention for the game, but it didn't sell so well. So basically, everything's riding on the the re-release of the game, which will feature multiplayer, and that's been a feature that's been long. People have been bugging us for, for, for the last couple of months. When is multiplayer coming? So we decided to, to, to give them what they wanted. And so we're releasing the new update with multiplayer and also releasing that, uh, the game on Android, on Ouya, on Mac and PC. Um, and they, the game will be, uh, the full version of the game will be free for PC and on Facebook. And that's basically, um, how do you say? If if it if it's not gonna work uh, at that release, then basically we're pretty much done for. Uh, we're just gonna continue working at our jobs because running your own company it sounds really cool and really awesome. Um, but yeah, at the at the at the end of the day, you need to be able to to pay the pay the bills. And you know, if your game sells four and a half thousand units in in like six months, that's like not paying the bills. Yep. Now wait a second. This is a game where you're playing against yourself, yet you're adding a multiplayer to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have ideas for a four-player version. Whoa, God. Yeah. Yes. Wait, wait. How? Oh man. So I mean, even just right there, this whole whole idea of of varying levels of difficulty all of a sudden add just another ball. <laughs> Ooh, well, I, I think your guys. Um, I, I can. I cannot say much about it because people are gonna. <laughs> people are gonna bash me for it. Um, I, I will say the ideas we have for the four-player version, and people are probably gonna like this idea a lot. Um, basically, you have two teams, a green and a blue team, and this is like it, it, it's. It's still a little bit of a catch twenty-two, but more in the game dynamic than uh, with the players than actually the game mechanic uh, itself. Because you have like a green and a blue team, and you're playing with uh, um, with well with four players, so two two people on each team, and basically uh, the team who gets the most points <clears throat> at the end of the round, or maybe a fixed uh, amount of points, will win. But here's the here's the here's the funny thing about the four player mode. Um, during the game, if like uh, I'm I'm green and we're ahead, like. Um, Let's say we have uh, 25 points and Team Blue has 10 points. And I'm on Team Green and I bounce into a player of Team Blue. Then we will switch teams. So, <laughs> so, so when, because when I was in Team Blue, now I'm in Team Green. Now I'm winning. And the guy who was in Team Green is now on Team Blue and he's losing. So it, the teams are not defined. It can, you know, it can still switch uh, at any God. point of the game. So you can still lose in the end or win in the end. So 
it's like you can grab all the points, but when someone bounces into you, you're, you're back from where you started because then you're still behind and you, you basically screwed yourself because you now gave them a lot more points for winning the game. So, you know, that's the whole catch-22. <laughs> oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. So, all right. Uh, but, but don't don't hold us to it because we're first working out the two player. Um, it's it's gonna be co op versus, which is gonna sound a little bit strange, but it's gonna be released in in, in June, hopefully. Uh, and and you know I hope you guys uh, are are going to stay in touch with us. Uh, and please do. And if you have any uh, anything you want to shout at us, just uh, head over to our Facebook page. Uh, just catch twenty two game. And then you know, stay in touch, and we'll keep you up to date. Uh, we get, we do we do a lot of giveaways, by the way. We All do right. A lot of give, yeah, because we're like it, this is the, we want the game to be a success, as in everybody can play the game and wants to play the game. And if if we wanted to do this for the money, then we would have quit after the Global Game Jam and sold the game to a publisher, and that's it. Um, you know, so yeah, this is basically out of love. So, and thank you guys for uh, doing this interview. Uh, and sharing the, this to the world with us. Okay, well, uh, Gus, before you go, yeah, uh, where can people find you online? Where can they can find me online? Uh, well, well, the, well, the game. The game. <laughs> All right. Not necessarily um, you, but your company no. and your game. All right, so um, the game, they can find us uh, pretty much. We're doing a lot of things on Facebook. We're doing a complete redesign of the website at the moment. Um, but basically, if you go on Facebook and you go, you, you find Catch-22 Game or you go, you Google it and find Catch-22 Game, um, you should be able to find us. And also, we're on Twitter um, and we're setting up a blog and stuff uh, in the meanwhile. But, you know, we're doing this in our spare time. And um, so the website's going to be redesigned and stuff. But basically, yeah, just, just, just hook us up on Facebook and, you know, we'll see you there. I gotta make sure I'm going for the game and not the book. No, 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 no. Catch Twenty Two is—it's also a great book, by the way, by Joseph Heller. Yes, yes, it is. But not what I was looking for. No, 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 no. You can't play that. You can't play the book. No, you can't. No. All right, right, Gus. Thank you, Gus. Yep. Thank you very much. No worries, guys, and uh, all the best of luck with your three hundredth episode next week. Yeah. Yeah. Big cakes. How did we get... Okay, anyway, make cakes. Yes, we'll cake. make cakes. All right, awesome. All right, bye, Gus. See ya. Still recording? Yes. Okay. All right, so that was Gus. Pretty cool guy. We do have some topics to get to. Yes. So where should we begin? Oh, dear, that's, uh, that's a good question. We've got a couple on the list. So Ron Gilbert, I think we can start there. Uh, Andy, are you familiar with, with of an, Ron Gilbert? Well, somewhat of an indie developer. He was trying to do the... Was he the one... Yeah, he was Psychonauts, right? Secret uh, of Monday, Monkey Tim Island? Schaefer? No. Ron Gilbert is old Sierra. Sierra programming. Yeah, I'm getting him and Tim Schaefer confused. My bad. Yeah. Tim Schaefer was Psychonauts. Tim okay. Schaefer is the, the owner of Double Fine and, and like the lead designer of Double Fine. Uh, Ron Gilbert was working with him at Double Fine, and then Ron Gilbert decided to leave. Huh. I don't know if you can really call him indie. It would be like Sid Meier leaving 
uh, 2K and Firaxis and going to do something else and calling himself Indy. So what is Ron Gilbert going to do now? I don't know. I'm not sure if he knows. Well, he's got the PAX Australia keynote. He gave a keynote at PAX Prime before. I know, but he's doing the keynote at PAX Australia. Yeah. Or Aussie PAX, as we all call it. By we uh, all, I mean... You? Yeah. Aussie PAX? PAX Aus is actually, I believe, what it's termed. PAX Aus? That might, yeah. Mm, that PAX probably would Aus, be. as in PAX... As, uh, similar to PAX East, PAX Prime. Got it. So it's PAX Aus. So yeah, I wonder what his keynote at PAX Aus is going to be. I don't know. He did a really good job at the the PAX Prime keynote. Uh, so he's leaving. So we'll see what he's up to. I mean, there's plenty of stuff. He could just be retiring. Also could be. He does have a side project listed here, an iOS game. Hmm. It's kind of a little bit of a hit for Double Fine, though. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with them. I mean, they've got a shit ton of money sitting around from that Kickstarter. Yeah. So, speaking of lots of money... Yes? You know how we talk about the Zanga stock and uh, its ridiculousness? Yeah, what's it at now? Um, It's actually going up because uh, there are rumors that Yahoo might buy them out. That Yahoo might buy them? Yeah. Why? Why? Wait, why? What? Who's the idiot at Yahoo? (laughs) The same idiot who uh, is removing all of the uh, telecommuters? Probably. But, but... Why? Like I, that to me makes no sense. Yeah, I don't. What would Yahoo do with Zynga? Lose money. <laughs> what would Yahoo do with Zynga? Lose money. Why? Why would you do this? Why would you even think about this? What does Zynga have that Yahoo wants? Uh, mobile developers. That's all I can think of. I'm pretty sure Yahoo can hire their own. Yeah. Oh my God, that's that's terrible. That's awful. Why? Okay. Yeah, I, that, I had to put that on there because it seems so weird. It's so bizarre. It like I don't get it. Um, let's see what else we got here. Oh, Amazon is starting a retro gaming store. Ooh. So you know, instead of having, my guess is they're just trying to thumb their nose at uh, eBay. Oh my god, Nintendo NES games? Yeah. You can buy an NES controller for six bucks? Um, how about buying an Atari 2600 console system? What? Yeah, you can buy the paddle controllers, you can buy the power adapter, PC to USB cable, so I think you can plug your Atari joystick into your computer. See, there, there's a danger here. This is not just thumbing their noses at, like, eBay. This is thumbing their noses at Nintendo, Sony, Sega. How so? Well, because they're also selling devices that will play these old games. Some of these devices are not first-party devices. No, no, they're not. (laughs) New Nintendo NES Entertainment System, $400. What? (laughs) Used, $42. I love how, if you look at the, the, the page, the more systems in retro gaming, right below it it says, it's dangerous to go alone, take this. You click on that, it's a link for a Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess replica sword. Wait, wait, where is this? On the uh, on the main retro gaming, more systems and retro gaming website. I don't even know how you can yeah. link to it. Mine, mine says do a barrel roll. Oh. Where's the, it's dangerous to go alone. Is that where it, my barrel roll would be? Probably. Right below, like the yep. subtitle? Yep. Let's see, refresh. Oh, uh, yep, it's dangerous to go alone, take this. Yep. 
Wow. That's actually kind of cool. Only two left in stock. Order now. I'm I'm up, up, down, down, left, right, left. Someone at Amazon has a good sense of humor because I'm reading all these subtitles now. <laughs> Thank you, but our princess is in another castle. Dangerous to go alone. Do a barrel roll. All of these are Nintendo. God, buying a Game Gear. Jeez, it's ridiculous. Well, I guess up, up, down, down is not Nintendo. It's Konami, but it was for mostly Nintendo products. Really? They got stuff for the Link? Links? Wow. The Atari Lynx? The Atari Jaguar? Jesus, this is ridiculous. I mean, ridiculously cool. Well, buy an old Commodore 64? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm astonished. This is pretty cool, actually. This is, are, are we sure this is not, like, an early April Fool's joke? Hey, you want to buy an original red Game Boy? Game Boy Pocket? Uh, again, are we sure, like, 100%? I, it's here. This, this is all valid stuff. <laughs> what? Metroid 2 price, $500? For a brand new Metroid 2. For a Game Boy game? Original 1989 Nintendo Game Boy bundle with Tetris headphones and Game Link cable. New, $301.76. Are we positive this is not an April Fool's joke? I, I don't know. It seems to be here, though, so... I just, <laughs> $200 for the Game Boy Donkey Kong game. <laughs> what is all of this? $688 for Pokemon Blue, original in box. See, this is what's happening is Amazon's technically not selling these. Amazon's just distributing them from other Amazon sellers. So that's the, that's the downside is it's not really Amazon <laughs> doing it. It's Amazon's just opening up another Reselling. storefront. Yeah. Yeah, wow. This Legend of Zelda Sword is still catching my eye. It's pretty cool. So this is actually not on our list, but I'm adding to it. So the Samsung Galaxy 4 was announced. Oh, yeah. I had meant to add that to the list. <laughs> well, would you like to add that to the list, and then I can add the... No, uh, you, you can add yours. Well, I was just adding the Joypad accessory. There's a Joypad as- accessory? Yeah. Wow. It uh, looks like somebody combined an Xbox 360 controller with the Wii styling. That's what it looks like. Ooh. Yeah, it doesn't look that pretty, but it's a Bluetooth gaming pad, and it should be able to uh, be compatible with other phones as well. Yep. What do you think about some of the features of the S4, like the uh, the the smart scrolling, that where seems it will weird. track your eyeballs, and as you get to the bottom of the page, it scrolls? That just seems a little creepy. The things where you can, like, you don't even have to touch the screen and it just follows your finger? Yep. Also creepy. Yep. I'm I'm not sure. Like, it's kind of cool, but it's also kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Which, uh, granted, if you have a touch screen and you're wearing gloves, it'd be nice, you know, not to actually have to touch the screen. Oh, man, it would make playing Ingress so much nicer. Oh, God. Oh, dear. Andy. I had to bring that up, didn't I? What, Ingress? Well, no, just the, the playing with the gloves. Yeah, no, I'm actually moving on from that. Oh. Uh, this is something that wasn't on our list, and I'm adding it. Okay. Uh, there's a new Civ Five expansion coming out. Yeah, I heard about that. What? Uh, shoot, I forgot what it was called. Brave New World. Which adds some more... Nine new civilizations. Yep, there you go. New scenarios, international trade routes... And they've revamped the cultural victory. Which is good, because the cultural victory is a pain in the ass to try and do. Yep. 
I mean, you'd sit there and just hit end turn over and over and over. So the question is, are you going to get this one as well? I don't think I have much of a choice. You always have a choice. We we can pretend we have choices, but there are there are chemistry involved. There is chemistry involved, which means I may not actually have the choice. We'll see. We'll see how much it is. I might. I'll, I'm sure I will eventually get it. I'm just not sure that I will get it when it comes out. I probably won't get it until I need to, or until it goes on sale on Steam. So, Dave, remember episode 294? No. Or more specifically, the random topic from episode 294? Um, no. Would you like me to remind you what it is? Yes, please. Dave, why no comments? Andy, why no RSS feeds? And you said, oh, you could use Google Reader. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Thanks, Andy. Thanks. So for those of you who are not yet familiar with the impending apocalypse, in uh, it is March, and so Google is going through and doing their spring cleaning. They are removing products that they don't see a use for or are not generating the revenue that they want or that are interfering with other things. One of the products marked for deletion was Google Reader. My RSS feeds, they are gone. Or they will be in July. Yeah. So I have between now and July to figure out a alternative, and in fact, um, I'm not alone. <laughs> no, there are many people who were kind of surprised by this. They're like, what? I mean, it's such a useful tool. Why would you get rid of it? And they just said, nope, we're all done. It's gone. So my concern when I read this, because I don't use Google Reader, you know this, we've talked about this. Right. It was a random and, topic. Yeah, I'm not going to start now, it seems, with it <laughs> disappearing in four months. It'd be a bad idea to start now. Yeah. But our podcast feed is run by FeedBurner. Which is another Google product. So it seems that Google is getting rid of its Google Reader, which is Google RSS-based. So is FeedBurner. Is this mean that the writing is on the wall for FeedBurner? If I mean, the writing's everything... been on the wall for FeedBurner for a little bit. Yeah, they never updated their blogs. It's Which is kind of funny because all the Google blogs are run by FeedBurner. Yep. We will just have to wait and see. I, I have started looking at kind of a contingency plan. For FeedBurner? Yep. Okay. Have and you found meantime, one for your Google Reader problem? I have I've found several. And it's going to be a matter of comparing and contrasting features and figuring out which one is what I want. And I may have to kind of give up on what I had and what I had considered typical and readjust and move on to something else. I just want to say that my email threads are just perfectly fine. No change whatsoever. Yep. Jackass. I mean... um, Son of a... So, um, last bit of news. Yes. Destructoid put out a little uh, editorial. Yes. Where they uh, found out that basically half of their readers use an ad blocker of some kind. 
And they're like, what? What are you guys doing? Not seeing ads. <laughs> and they, they basically are like, can you guys kindly um, unblock us, please? I mean, why should I? Well, well it's kind of interesting because most of the ad revenue, it, this was kind of because I went to the Great Lakes Broadcasting Conference, which is uh, funny because of two things. One, it actually related to our previous random topic of what radio stations do you listen to? Mm-hmm. Because somebody at some conference said that, uh, oh, I forgot exactly what it was worded, but it was basically along the lines of a car company was saying that they were going to remove the AM FM radio from their one of their cars or something like that, which everybody was in an uproar about. It's not actually what they said, but that's what the story got out as. So it was interesting to talk to people about well, what's the future of radio if there's no radio in a car, which is what we talked about. Hey, podcast. Um, but the second one was also the lack of ad, the dropping amount of advertising with regular media with versus online media, which if half of us are using ad blockers, it's not going to generate the same amount of revenue Nope. As it used to. Nope. I mean, I, I the whole model of business of using advertising to pay for websites is is a little odd. And, and I'm not sure. You know, we've got ads on our page, but I don't think we've ever actually made any money off of them. Probably not. We should actually check that at some point. We no, do... I- rely uh, like on on donations from time to time and everything else just comes out of pocket mm-hmm. oh cool andy we've made a total in in six years are you ready for this five dollars 77 dollars hey close in six years it's been enough to pay almost pay for one year of hosting <laughs> laura's pointing out we're making more than ten dollars a year Let's see, 52-hour-long episodes a year. <laughs> yep. 52 times 60, 3,120 minutes a year. This is from October of 2006. $77. That's not a lot. <laughs> we, I think we're uh, making a dollar we, every... We, 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 well, so some months it's like you made it, you know, the, the very first month we made five bucks. Uh, later in that year, so in December we made four bucks, and then in 2007 it went down to like, you made five cents this month, you made seven cents this month, and then in December it jumped back up to three bucks. Huh. I wonder why it keeps jumping at the end of the year. I don't know. We have cool episodes at the end of the year. That's got to be it. So I yeah, think we always have cool episodes. But that's just me. we we do have cool episodes all year round. So. <laughs> So uh, in six months we've made, or in six years we've made seventy-seven dollars. So you know we don't use the ads to generate a whole lot of revenue. They're there because it's, you know, it's nice to get that extra couple bucks. But I'm not going to complain if people use ad blockers. We have that PayPal button up, and I've we've gotten more money out of that one PayPal button than we have out of the ads. Very true. You know, Would we go with like a um, NPR a pledge drive? Pledge drive. <laughs> Just interrupt the podcast every thirty, you know, every five minutes with like. By the way, <laughs> well, just do that for like one episode. 
No, no. I hate the NPR pledge drive. I really, really despise it. Like, I understand the need for it, but as I'm driving to work, I want to hear the show that I, I'm listening to the radio for. I did a study about this when I was working at WEMU, and it was like, okay, so there's the one pledge drive, and I was measuring the amount of time that people had interrupted their show in the hour. Mm-hmm. And I compared that to, you know, an actual radio station where it's about 20 minutes of advertising per hour. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay, so if you do that every single day, you listen to it. If you, and I was doing a whole math problem with that, showing that, yes, the pledge drive is annoying, but it's annoying for a very small amount of time versus the entire year yes, that, of listening that is to true. the program. That is very true. But I can only listen to these people say their phone number so many times. That's why I still love that guy who called up and he's like, how much do I have to pay you to shut up for the next hour? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's literally what he asked. He's like, "How much do I have to pay for you guys to shut up for the the next hour?" I mean, and we quoted no him. Number. We well, we quoted him the the hourly goal that we had set up. Yeah, and he's like, "Okay, I'll pay that." And we shut up for the next hour. Really, I need to start doing that. <laughs> oh my god, we aren't doing a, a pledge drive, Andy. Okay. We are not doing a pledge drive. You and I are funding this out of our own pockets. It's not worth trying to, to turn this into a business. No. Been doing this for six and a half years. Why? Because it's fun. And we get to talk to inter- interesting people like us. Yes. And every so often get a free game out of it. Yeah. Um. Okay. What else do we have? Is that everything? That's basically everything. That's basically everything. Random review. <laughs> oh, oh. All right, Dave, let loose the dogs of war. Cry havoc. Um, SimCity 5. Otherwise known as SimCity. Yeah, yeah. I'm not 100% sure where to begin on this review. I, I, okay, I will begin with this. It's a good game. The actual game is good. It was... There, there are some questionable design choices. There are some things that don't make as much sense. There are some, certainly some features that I'd like that aren't there and other features that are there, quote-unquote features, that I'm not a huge fan of. Yes, yeah, so let me also say I was in the beta for this, one of the betas. Yeah? And so I actually had a chance to sit down and basically play a single-player version of this without any of the online components. For I think it was like an hour at a time, and let me, I will tell you that I played multiple hours of this game, trying out different city combinations, trying this, that, and the other thing, and it yep. was enjoyable. It's fun, right? It, it yeah, it's a good game. It's it's a pretty strong core. I also after playing this one started playing SimCity Four again. Hmm. Which I have trouble with because... Oh, SimCity 4, I'm lost in that game. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm, I'm supposed to do and how to do it. It's crazy. This game, it still is open-ended, but at least kind of gives you guidelines of, hey, you should try doing this. Yep. It's the most helpful advice I've gotten in the SimCity game. Like, when you... When you start to learn the interface and it tells you, oh, this is yellow, you need to pay attention to it. You click on it and you say, oh, well, what's wrong? It's like, your crime rate is getting really high. 
you might want to consider doing this. So what specializations did you give your city, Andy? Um, the thing, I think at the the beta only allowed us to do um, casinos. Okay. So high crime. Yeah. Lots of crime. <laughs> Lots of crime. It So it's a fun game. It would be a hell of a lot more fun with friends that I know and that I could communicate with and we, we could actually coordinate. Yes. I could see that. So, Andy, <laughs> what I need you to do... I'm sorry, but the way the, it's currently crumbling, I'm not going to be buying SimCity. Yeah, so downsides of SimCity. Always on connection. Not only that, but always on origin. You know, origin isn't all that bad. Completely terrible. But still, it's... It's it's another thing that I have to have running on my computer. Yes. While I'm playing this game, which I'm okay with with Steam because there's more to it than that. But I open up my Origin and I have Spore and SimCity. I have Battlefield Bad Company 2, Command & Conquer 4, and SimCity. It... It feels like it's open but not really doing anything but other than well, sucking up close juice. it. Then I can't play SimCity. You can when you open it again. That is not a valid excuse. I don't want to hear that. Origin has its issues, but the fact that it has to run on your system is not one of them. Okay. I'm. I'm. Well, we'll agree though. Origin does have issues. Origin does have issues. Okay. Um, yeah. I and and SimCity. I mean, so this was kind of at the peak of everything was coming down crashing, but it was. I opened Origin, I launch SimCity, except that I don't launch SimCity. So first I open Origin and it says, oh, I'm going to check for updates. You say, okay, Origin, you can go check for updates. And Origin checked for an update and it said, okay, nothing found. Cool, launch SimCity. Here, let me go get the SimCity launcher for you. Oh, well, that, no, Origin, I just wanted to launch the game. SimCity launcher comes up. I have to check for updates. Wait, but didn't Origin just check for up? What? What? Origin's checking for updates for the launcher. The launcher is checking for updates for the game. <laughs> so I wait for the launcher to update, and then it comes back. It says, oh, here, let me go get the list of servers that you have your cities on. By the way, cities are locked to the server. This, I think, is the worst design flaw in the entire game. Cities are locked to a server? Cities are locked to a server. So if I want to play with my friends on a particular server, it's fine. If I switch to a different server, I don't have access to that city until I switch back to the first server, which requires exiting the program. Oh. There's no way to switch servers in the program. You have to exit so, and relaunch the launcher. So let's say that you and I are playing a game. Yep. Brian shows up and goes, oh, you guys are playing SimCity. Here, let me play with you. Oh, server's full. Sorry, you can't play with us, even though you are in the game on another server? Yep. We, oh, jeez. Worst design flaw in the entire series. Worse than the AI. The AI, by the way, is garbage. Yeah, that's what I heard, is the fact that... I mean, the, absolute garbage. EA should be embarrassed that they let an AI out like this. Uh, I don't know how this passed QA... I don't know what you guys were doing in the beta, 
but it certainly wasn't actually fixing issues with the AI. The cars is it, picked yeah, is the it shortest that, route. Yeah, oh, I, I, I remember pointing that out in the beta where it's like, okay, I've got a nice four-lane road. And basically as a ring road it. around the outside of my city. Yep. And, and then I have like the, the little just individual things going in. So I'm thinking, okay, people just take the ring road to their exit and go that. But no, they go through all the individual little. Oh, yep. The AI it's, is garbage. You almost have to build cul-de-sacs for it to work right. I didn't even think about doing that. I, most of my cities are laid out with a grid. No, no. Grid in SimCity with this one was not working for me. You had to do cul-de-sacs where you had a main road artery and you had cul-de-sacs branching out. That way people can't use the cul-de-sacs or the crossroads to try and cut across because it's a shorter route. You must force them to use your road the way you want it to be used. I'll have to check that out. At least that's what I was noticing with mine in my, you know, brief periods of playing the game. Yeah. Um, so the AI is pretty garbage, and I mean they're working on it, they're patching it, they're fixing it up, but yeah, they they should have been focused on that and not day one DLC. Yeah, they should have been focused on having enough servers up. And it, again, it wouldn't have been a problem if they had done like a phased go live where it was, you know, we're gonna we we drew people randomly or people who paid more get first access, and we will ramp up slowly. But the everything turns on right now, and oh, now no one can download the game, and no one can get in because we have three servers when we needed something like fifteen. It was it was stupid. It was terrible. So how long are you going to try and keep playing this game? I'm playing it. I've actually had almost no connection issues. As long as you're willing to sacrifice your city and jump to a new server, there are enough servers at this point. And in sacrifice fact, a city. Yep. And in fact, like I haven't really had any any concerns about that. I've just got three different servers and never have I seen all three full at the same time. So you should have city A, city B, and city C. Yep. And then just play which one is ever available. Play which one's available. Now there's a couple other things that would be nice, like a save feature, so I could go back to earlier versions of my cities. Not so um, much. Maybe some extra assistance on spacing and gridding things out because when I drop a recycling center, you know, I, I need to figure out where to put the roads around it, preferably before I drop it. Isn't is it true? There's no undo. Still, there is no undo. Well, no, there is an undo. It's called your bulldoze. <laughs> but that's been true of all Sim Cities, except yeah. that you've been able to save and go back. Um, you know, I, I like the way that the regions work in that you can have one city specializing in something and it, you know, trades and communicates with the other cities. Um, I'd like it to work a little better. They had to kind of nerf it because they're saving loads on the surfer servers. Yeah. So, so would you recommend this to other people? If it goes on sale or drops in price, absolutely 100%. If you enjoyed any sort of city-building game, if you enjoy uh, having a lot of freedom and being able to kind of just build, absolutely. Paying full price for it right now is kind of hard to say. If you've got the money to spend, go for it. You'll probably have more fun with this than a lot of other games that are out on the market. 
but you know you you have to be prepared for the fact that they are handling this poorly. Yeah. And there's of course the what happens when they turn the servers off. Oh, true. But that'll you know, be, that'll be years down the road and really, you know, Andy, are you still playing Civ 4? No. Are you really worried about what happens when they shut down like the multiplayer servers of Civ 4? No, but then you also got to be careful with the uh how long are they going to keep the servers up because EA has always shut down the old servers. You have talked about that with the sports games all the time. Yep. So eventually the servers will get shut down, and you will lose this game. We'll see what happens between now and then. All right. Random topic. Rolled ahead of time. And no joke, this is actually what it says. If Who you were... this? <laughs> Take a guess. Hans. Yeah. If you were running a sincere recruitment campaign for an American Al-Qaeda member... For American Al-Qaeda members... What strategies would you employ? Show videos of the KKK. Really? Yep. I'd say this is what you expect in the United States. This is what the populace is like. Fight against it. I was thinking more along the lines of showing us... uh, Well, find out what exactly is against Islamic tradition. Mm Mm-hmm. And just show videos of that. I I think the KKK would be a pretty good uh, piece right there. I don't know what that this... is. However, like this is this is a weird topic. Um, I mean, I, I guess that's what I'd show. But would I ever actually do this? Absolutely not. It's basically asking, what do you think is the worst part of America in the view yep. of Islamic terrorists? Yep. And I'm not even going to go with in the view of Islamic terrorists. I'm I'm pretty convinced KKK is some of the worst parts of America. Period. Oh, Mississippi. Mississippi, nothing. Michigan. Also true, yeah. It's the birthplace of the KKK. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yep. Over in Howell. Mm. Alright, well, that that's not much of a random topic. There you go, people. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. The... Alright, well, I, I think we're all set then. Show somebody eating lots of bacon? No, no, really wouldn't worry about that. Burning crosses on people's front yards. What about the uh, the, the Baptist church that wanted to burn the, burn the Quran? Ooh, the, the Florida Baptist? Yes. Yep, I, I suppose I could just show every video of that guy. Yeah, just keep showing that guy and you'll be like... That, that would probably drive recruitment. <laughs> Heck, show that online, you'd probably drive recruitment against them anyway. Yep. Oh, Westmore Baptist Church. That's what it is. Alright, well, I have to go get something to eat. Alright. So, it's been fun. Thank you, everyone. And that's a wrap. This has been another episode of the Random Access Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, suggestions, remarks, reviews, rebukes, retorts, or just rants, feel free to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at RAPodcast, or send us an email at mail at RAPodcast.net. Thank you for listening.